Cambridge Muslim College, training the next generation of Muslim thinkers. Firstly, very grateful and honoured by the invitation to speak to you, Muslims of South Africa, people who've been on a rocky road. Now I'll make everything easy for you and bring together your hearts and make you a light for your nation. This is personal honour for me. The subject is one that is relevant to everyone. Very often we feel in our religion that we are climbing a staircase. We go up, but then unfortunately sometimes we take a step back. And sometimes we take as many steps back as we step forward and we wonder what the effort is all about. We can fall into despair. And we need to analyze ourselves. This is the virtue of muhasaba, reckoning up ourselves. What have we done that went wrong? What went right? We need just give hamd and shukr for and not give too much thought to it. But when things go wrong, it is a haq that we should investigate, particularly if things seem to be in a circle going round and around, and we make the same mistakes over and over again. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made the road of human beings to be, in principle, so straightforward. We come from the garden. Our forefathers, Adam and Hawa, alayhim wassalam, were in the garden of Adam. And we are invited to the final garden, Jannatu Adam. Jannat al-Na'im, Dar al-Salam, the place where there will be no more sinning, no more mistakes, no more sorrow, no more reproach, but only gardens of delight. So we're like travelers in a desert, and we leave one oasis with its shade and its water and its low-hanging fruits, and on the far horizon we see another oasis, and that's where we need to go. But between this place and that place, there is this desert with its heat, with its lack of shade, with its scorpions and snakes, with its bewildering paths that seem to lead nowhere. Every reasonable person knows that he wants to get straight to the destination. And this is what we call the virtue of istiqamah, going straight. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wishes us to find that path. He does not wish us to go wandering off in the desert where we will only suffer. He invites us to the abode of peace. It is that place to which he summons us, because it is that place where is our happiness and where is our natural home. In the meantime, as we tread this path, we tread it, as it were, not with our faltering steps, but with our hearts. It is about directedness. It is about niyyah. It is about the 
exhilarations and the sorrows, the bereavements, the tragedies that the heart experiences. Our lives really are the lives of the mind, of the soul. The body is of far less significance. What we are is what we are within. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not look at our forms, suwari form, but looks at our hearts. So in our hearts we can create, if we like, a fire, or we can turn our hearts into a garden. And this is our choice. Allah has shown us the two paths. Uniquely among all of the orders of creation, we can make that choice. The trees, the mountains, the lions, the elephants, they can't make that choice. They are just on their own path, which is the path of the fitra. But we can choose the right path and become higher than them all, or we can choose a path which is uniquely the human path, which is the path that leads to this, this burning. So we can make a fire in our hearts, we can carry with us our own personal hell, our own mobile inferno, a little jahannam, which we carry around within ourselves, full of impulses and desires and envies and frustrations and agitations and egotisms, so easy to do that. It's like, Allah's blazing fire which rises up over the heart. We can create and maintain a hellfire within ourselves. Or we can create a garden within our hearts. And we do this by remembering the garden we came from and remembering the garden to which Ar-Rahman is inviting us and remembering and remembering so that our footsteps follow that straight path and our remembrance of where we came from should make us beautiful people and our remembrance of what our Lord is offering us should make us beautiful people and should energize us on this road and thus the heart becomes a garden remembering him turns the heart into a garden the Holy Prophet says to his Sahaba عنهم, when you pass by the gardens of paradise grave they say O messenger of Allah what are the gardens of paradise and of course they have heard of the gardens of paradise Allah has told them of them but what they mean is how can we be passing the gardens of paradise when we're still in this dunya and he says the circles of remembrance Remembering, remember these great verses which uh, our Imam recited for the Maghrib today that it is about dhikr. These verses at the end of Surah Al Imran remind us of those who remember their Lord standing, sitting, and on their sides. If we remember Him, we will find that we have our own portable gardens within ourselves, and that that garden gives us a kind of foretaste of the garden which has no limit. In it there will be rivers and fruits, and we can be calm and at peace. And this is the state of the real believer. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is offering us a good deal. And yet strangely, as Bani Adam, our footsteps sometimes swerve. Strange. Behind us the garden, before us the garden, within us the possibility of a garden, but still, given our wayward ways, our hawa, our desires, our egotisms, our real stupidity, the plots of the shaitan, we think, well, perhaps it would be interesting if I go in that direction, 
to look at that rock on this direction because there's some really interesting people over there who seem to be doing some cool stuff and we forget and we deviate and this is the zayr the going astray, the leading, leaving the path of which our generous and loving creator is always warning us. So this is our state, foolish humanity, strange creatures that we are. We are given so much. Everything in creation is a sign pointing to him and pointing to the garden and reminding us of the garden and making the flowers grow in our hearts. But instead we think, this is interesting. And that is interesting. Let me feel proud about myself. Let me feel envious of that person. Let me tell this little lie. And then let me tell it once again. And then let me see if I can get away with this and fiddle my taxes and pay a bribe and break up this marriage and do this and do that. And it's all kind of amusing, but this is on the surface and this is the essence of stupidity. Going straight is the way of happiness, the way of intelligence, and all of those other paths we are forbidden to follow. Do not follow those other paths. This is our loving Creator's advice. This matter of istiqamah then is really related to what we think about when we think of sin. There's a great hadith narrated by Imam Muslim. Rawal Imam Muslim on Sufyan bin Abdullah radiallahu anhu qal Qul ya Rasulullah قل لي في الإسلام قولا لا أسأل عنه بعده أبدا. The Messenger of Allah, tell me something about Islam, after which I'll never need to ask another question. قال قل آمنت بالله ثم استقم. And he said, just say, I believe in Allah, and then go straight. This is really the essence of religion. This is one of the جوامع الكلم. Where the Holy Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم doesn't give us the complex details of the fiqh, but gives us the essence of everything in a nutshell. Um, this is in our age of uh, social media and tweets and short attention spans, part of the blessing of Islam. The essence of it is really simple to understand. The shahada is our creed, really simple to understand. One God and follow the messenger and the gardens of infinity will be yours. It's a good deal. His uh, treasure chests are not limited. He gives without reckoning. Not like the economics of dunya, where everything is on a spreadsheet. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives without reckoning. And so we have to follow this straight path. So, Ananta Billah, I believe in Allah, and then go straight. And that's what you need. And this istiqamah comes up again, linked to Iman in the Quran. In the Ladina Kabu, Rabbunallah, Thumma Stakamu, Tatanazadu Alayimul Malaika. Those who say, we believe in Allah, and then go straight with the istiqamah, the angels descend upon them, saying, there shall be no fear upon you, nor any grief, and be rejoiced, be rejoiced, be joyful about the garden which you have promised. <coughs> Believers should be joyful. He knows that he has come from his generous Lord, he knows he's going to his generous Lord, he knows the blessings of dhikr, and that istiqamah and ta'a in his heart is given so much. Be cheerful, be joyful. Ours is the way of happiness. Tariq al-sa'ada. So those who say, Rabbun Allah, Allah is Allah, and then go straight. The treasure chest of the Almighty's jewels will be opened unto him. 
So this is about istiqama. But istiqama is between these extremes, because that desert is real. And the dunya is kind of, even though in itself it's not uh, the reality, the hayawan, the true life to which we are invited, it looks pretty interesting. <coughs> and we are weak. So weak when we think of the stupid things we've done and that we do and that we crave. It's embarrassing. So weak. Astaghfirullah and astaghfirullah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us his book to help us and his messenger to help us and these angels to help us. Uh, angels send upon us if we follow this istiqamah. But the danger of not following that straight path is terrifying. Something worse than death awaits us. The fire in the heart, the anguish, the anxiety, the hell within, the guilt, the miserable state, the shakawa, as the one who is not on that path but is following his pleasures and following his pleasures and following vices until he's ruined inside and may go mad. The dark spot that according to Imam Ali descends upon the heart of every son of Adam when he does the wrong action. And it accumulates and accumulates and accumulates until his heart is all black, like the depths of hell. Foolishness, but this is what we do. The Holy Prophet once alarmed his companions when he said, Hud, the surah of Hud, has turned my hair grey and its sisters, other surahs like it. And the ulama has said, what is it in this surah that is so alarming and frightening that it's turned the heart of God's best of creation, turned his hair grey? Uh -huh. And many of the scholars say it's because of the description of the fire. And others say it's because of the verse, which is a commandment to him, go straight as you have been commanded. One of the great ulama saw the Holy Prophet in a dream and said, uh, Ya Rasulullah, ma shayyabaka minha. What is it of this surah that turned your hair grey? And he says, Go straight as you have been commanded. There's no excuse. The great sovereign king has unmistakably sent us the message. Follow this path. He has promised us delight, illimitable. He has promised us the supreme delight of gazing upon his noble face. He is offering us and offering us and offering us. If we go off the path, this nasiyah, this sin, this disobedience to him, it's not a little thing. It is a defiance. It is a word that says no to what he is offering. It is a determination to try and slam shut the gates of his mercy. It is a locking of the treasure chest of his bounty. This masiyah, disobedience to the Creator, is not a little thing. We often hear about the mortal sins, as sab al mubiqat Not quite the same as the deadly sins that the Christians talk about. It's a different category, and in fact, the commentary goes much more deeply. And it's in Sahih Muslim again. It's that was sab al mubiqat fear the seven destroyers, the ruiners. We could say the deadly sins. And they said, what are they? A messenger of Allah. And then he lists them. 
There's different lists. The seven are a different seven in different lists. And the reason for this, according to one of the truly great commentaries on the hadith, Imam al-Nawawi, in his commentary, he looks at this in such beautiful detail. And you can tell a great commentator because he can bring to the surface so many fawaid and, and signs of the prophetic genius. Uh, it's the prophet's words that just, as it were, we see them on the surface, but the true scholars can bring out treasures and treasures and treasures from that ocean. So a mortal sin, something that takes you to hell, it really depends on the intention. And it depends on the circumstance. So there's no standard list of deadly sins. And then he goes on to say, well, what's the difference between a mortal sin, the kaba'ir, and the sara'ir, the major sins and the lesser sins? How can we tell the difference? And there's different scholars who have different views, and he prefers the view of Imam Abu Hamid al-Ghazali, rahmatullahi alayhi, who says that uh, the lesser sins are those which are erased by the five daily prayers, because of the famous hadith. But the Holy Prophet is always helping his Sahaba to understand these things, strikes a metaphor for them, and says, imagine a man who has a river flowing outside his house. And he washes in it five times a day. Will any dirt remain upon him? And they say, La ya Rasulullah. No, a messenger of Allah. Thus it is that God wipes away mortal sin with the five daily prayers. He wipes, we our, wipes away our sins with the daily prayers. This is such a great blessing, and we tend not to realize it. We go to the mosque, we go to the mosque again, we don't know beneath the surface what's happening. The rubbish that we've been doing, these black spots accumulating in our heart, Allah and His generosity is getting rid of them, airbrushing them out, wiping them away as though they had never been. SubhanAllah. We don't even remember that even the simple act of wudu has this effect of wiping away some of our sins. The ghaib of all of these actions, which are immense, profound rituals, which only the surface of which we see, the bottom of them we can't see. But Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal, rahmatullahi alayhi, was given a kashf into many things to do with ibadah. One of the gifts that he was given was the ability to see sins dropping from people's limbs as they were making their wudu. And we think, oh, it's just an app. No, it's just hiding. No, something deep is going on. All of these little things that we do, maybe hundreds of things that we have done between the prayers. You said that thing, it wasn't quite right. You were slightly discourteous to somebody. You ate a little bit too much. You looked at somebody you shouldn't have looked at. Things accumulate. These sara'ir accumulate. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with his rituals is washing us clean. Alhamdulillah, never underestimate the power of the salat. Keep it up. Revere the wudu. This is minbad ta'zim sha'irillah. Revering Allah's signs and practices. Never underestimate these practices. So, the lesser sin is that which is wiped out from Qadr until Zuhr, Zuhr until Asr, by the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the mortal sins, you've committed adultery, you've murdered somebody, you've committed theft. It's, you're not so easily let off the hook. Just by going to the masjid and making your wudu. No. Something else has to happen. And that other thing is essentially to do with tawbah. Alhamdulillah, in our miraculously generous religion, we have this miracle of tawbah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has described himself as tawab, 
Rahim. We don't have this idea of original sin. But because of the error or the misunderstanding of Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam, we're all going to hell forever. We don't believe in that. That is the idea of a kind of monstrous imagination. He has called himself the just and the compassionate. We're not going to go to hell because of what an ancestor did. Every soul is responsible, is hostage for what itself, what it itself has done, not for what a distant ancestor has done. SubhanAllah. We make tawbah, and we should really get into that habit because it's the essence of religion. The sunnah to say this after the wudu, Allah loves, who make, loves those who make tawbah and loves those who purify themselves. The one who repents from sin is like the one who had no sin, subhanAllah. What a relief. Instead of this terrible feeling that I should feel guilty for a dreadful thing that I now I did 30 years ago and I can never really smile again. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, He will wipe those things away if the tawbah is correct. The catch is, how do we know? And we can't be complacent. This tawbah nasur, this sincere, absolute repentance that might overwhelm us and cause floods of tears and forces us not out of some kind of ritualism, but because we know it has to be done to make amends, to pay a compensation, to go and apologize to the person. Uh, not just truth, but reconciliation, you could say, in South Africa. Make amends, go back to those people, and try and put things right as much as you can. Compensation. This is part of, of, of Tawbah. And then, by Allah's grace, we hope that it is wiped out. Alhamdulillah, we're not to go through life with this accumulation of guilt. This is not what he wants. But then the problem is, what if I do it again? And then I do it again. And each time I make a tawbah, or I think I make a tawbah, and maybe I try to wipe it out by doing another hajj, or giving away a lot in sadaqah, and that is a good instinct for the believer. Because when we sin, we feel that we are besmirched. There's a kind of dirt. We feel that black spot in the heart. Psychologists are aware of this. Often people who have committed crimes, or who are the victims of crimes, who have seen some fundamental sinful violation of the normal civil rules of human interaction, like to take a shower, or they like to wash. Psychologists call it the, call it the Macbeth complex. Yeah? Because of the, the, the scene in Macbeth where the, the murderer is saying, out vile spot, committed the murder, and is trying to wash and wash and wash and can't get rid of the sense that there's something physically on his hand because of the horrible murder that he's committed. Very often criminals do that, and victims do that. And psychologists will often say, well, go and take a shower, go and wash. Alhamdulillah, we have this beautiful ritual of wudu and ghusl and before a, a, a real tawbah and rituals of the hajj and the ihram, all of that is part of it. Very sound, very balanced, very beautiful psychology that's already built into our, our way of Muslim life 14 centuries ago and so many hearts have been healed by this. But part of the purification also is that you make a sacrifice. Sacrifice also is good psychology. 
good deeds uh, push away or make bad deeds go away. Now, the deeds themselves can't do that because Allah is the ghaffar, the all-forgiving. We can't engage in some kind of psychological game within ourselves whereby I've done this and therefore it doesn't matter that I did that. You can't do that calculation because the spiritual damage done by a sin is in the heart and you can't me measure the extent of it. But still, to do something good after something bad is a very important sign of Tawbah and a step towards Tawbah. And even if the Tawbah isn't very good, the fact that you do that, inshallah, will put you in a situation where quite unexpectedly the tears will flow and you realize that was disgraceful. I disobeyed my generous Lord. Nothing is more horrible. I'm not going to do that again. You will be granted a Tawbah. The ulama ask Allah to grant them Tawbah. وَمْنُنْ عَلَيَّ بِتَوْبَةٍ this is in the Diwan of Imam Al-Haddad. Grant me a tawbah that will wash me of every horrible thing and that will protect me from the evil of returning to that sin. How? By your absolute grace and merit. Not because I deserve anything, but the tawbah is your gift. So we say that we wish to be tawwab. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has called himself tawwab. So our tawbah is actually his gift to us. We can't just create a psychological state in ourselves and say, this is tawbah. The deep psychological states in human beings are outside our volition. We can't even create an intention, properly speaking. You can't decide to love somebody. You can't go to a, say, woman of your dreams and say, I've decided to love you, she'll tell you where to get off. It's not possible. These are deep things, and tawbah is the same. You can't say, I've decided to make tawbah, so I'm going to go to the masjid and pray two rakahs, and this is going to sort it. No, it's a divine gift. And if you have that divine gift, that may even raise your spiritual state. Happy the sin that brings me to my knees. Maybe the realization of your weakness has broken your pride. Maybe it's brought you in tears back to the mosque. Maybe it is focusing you again on the generosity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Maybe it was a blessing in disguise in some strange way. May Allah take us to him to istiqamah, not through sin and tawbah. But some people go to him through sin and tawbah, and this is a possibility, but it's not the best way. But through his generosity, that path out into the desert, uh, and the... Uh, destructive experiences there, and then the tears and the Lord guides us back. That's another way that many of us do follow a very strange and crooked path that Allah and His generosity does lead us back to the path and takes us to the gates of His garden out of His generosity. So we can hope for a tawbah, and a true tawbah is one of the greatest gifts that Allah can give to a human soul maybe second only to faith in him. Those two things. You, our Lord is Allah, and then go straight. Tawheed, and then the straight path. And Tawbah. Rasulullah says to Mu'adh, فَقَالَ فِي النَّاسَ بِخُلُقٍ حَسَنٍ 
follow up an evil deed with a good deed and deal with people on the basis of good akhlaq. Again, one of his general uh, advices, universal advices, we should make it our constant habit when we've done something that we really knew was wrong to do something. Even if we, even that's, that's not going to be enough. But to signal to ourselves and to the Lord of the world that we have registered that we've done something wrong. To log on to a charity website and donate something. Uh, be more generous to whoever's looking after your car. Uh, try and support somebody to go and honor and do something. Alhamdulillah, the ways in which we can help people are pretty numerous because there's plenty of needy people. Go and visit somebody or go and do something positive specifically in consequence of something bad that you have done. Not with the expectation that through some clever calculation it doesn't, the sin doesn't matter, but you should do that. And this is always the practice of the, the salikim, the people who are on the path of the, the hereafter. And it is a prophetic commandment. But what if we then go back to the sin? And sometimes this takes the form of what looks like an addiction. One of the most tragic things in the, the magic, mysterious world, that unimaginably complex, many-chambered, many-galleried palace of the human heart, which contains more wonders than the heavens and the earth put together, uh, so full of signs and so mysterious, this inner world, is when people are stuck in a kind of cycle of doing something wrong and then feeling sick that they did something wrong and maybe confessing it, maybe going back to the masjid and maybe paying charity and maybe doing something drastic because they're so horrified by what they've done. And then they do it again. Recidivism, returning to sin. <coughs> this is like an addiction. <coughs> and because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that the human soul <coughs> and the human brain take different forms. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not created us with identical outward forms or inward capacities. Each one is different. Part of the majesty of his created power, like no two fingerprints or retinas are the same, no two souls are the same, no two brains are the same. Some of us have certain strengths, others have certain weaknesses. And one of the rules of the spiritual path is to know what your greatest weakness is. The ancient Greeks call it hamartia, a fatal flaw. Every hero has one fatal flaw. And we should be, I mean, self-knowledge is difficult, but we should at least know what is our greatest weakness. Look at the list of mortal sins and say which of those suits me most painfully, correctly. And it's different for different people. The paths to hell are numerous. And unfortunately, sometimes, and it's even something that can form certain patterns in the brain, we get into habit forming, habit, habitual forms of behavior that we find it impossible to get out of. Now, Allah, in His unimaginable mercy, has identified the great vices that human beings can fall into and has forbidden them. Alhamdulillah. How many an alcoholic? has been saved from his cycles of going back into the hell of alcoholism by discovering Islam 
and not being told by some religious leader, well, uh, drink in moderation, but don't drink at all. Let's go near it. This thing is rich. Min amal shaitan. We are created to be noble creatures. Ahsani taqweem. Even a small amount of alcohol makes you slightly less noble and therefore is an insult to your creator. Who has created you the ahsan surah. If you're no longer quite the, the disciplined, restrained person with, with uh, capacity for impulse control and you're kind of sliding, you're not in this excellent form that he has created you in. And this is a blasphemy. This is not a little thing. So Allah has forbidden it and saved so many alcoholics and by extension drug addicts from this terrible habit of drinking and then waking up and feeling sick and not knowing where one was the night before and all of the disgusting consequences of alcoholism that can lead not just to the destruction of marriages and relationships and families and cause you to lose your job, it destroys your health as well if you die in a particularly sick and um, atrocious way. Allah in his mercy wishes his servants to be free of that. So instead of saying, well, just drink in moderation, know how many units a week you should uh, consume, he has said, stop, and breaks the cycle. Because the believer, in our, in our weakness, we need clarity. Should I reap one more glass, one for the road, another little glass of vodka will do no harm, uh, you get sucked into the sin again, and then you wake up on the floor of the police stations thinking of your own vomit and you feel disgusted and maybe you've done it again. Now, Allah is protecting you from that by giving you the strength to remember this is forbidden anyway. Even the first class was forbidden. And so you're protected, inshallah. That's the, the protection that he's offering. Unless you don't care and you do it anyway. Gambling. So many people have gambling addictions. It's a terrible thing high-value gambling machines that are proliferating any, everywhere. And in England, and this is particularly disgusting, the gambling shops proliferate in the poorest parts of town. That's really disgusting. So somebody gets his social security check, and before he gets home to, to, buy, to give the money to his wife to go shopping, he passes one, two, three, four gambling shops, and he goes in and thinks, well, maybe I could make a little bit. And by the time he gets home, it's gone. And his wife shouts at him, and she's right to shout, and he feels disgusted. He thinks, why did I do it again? What an idiot I am. Those nice shining machines designed by people who know exactly how to exploit my, my weakness. Professional PhDs in psychology hired to exploit my weakness so that I blow my savings on this meaningless activity, where the odds are always stacked in favor of the house, the lottery, all of that idiocy. Why was I so stupid? In England, sometimes they say that the lottery is a tax on stupidity. Well, it is. But that's one reason why it shouldn't exist, because stupid people also have the right to be protected from their own weakness. Why is it that the poor and the stupid and the weak are being invited to suffer and to destroy their families and to lose their homes? This is not amusing. And certain forms of very speculative investment can be the same kind of thing. The stock market sometimes can look like a kind of casino. We need to be aware of this. And sometimes the borderlines are great. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said no to these things, and that should protect us. You can't, you have no justification for going into the betting shop in the first place. Alhamdulillah, you get home and the check is intact and your wife can buy the groceries for the children. A divine protection. 
that the, the brain, when you have pressed a button and you want to do it again, the psychologists who are designing those machines and those who are pushing alcohol and other drugs know very well that there's a serotonin loop in the mind. Maybe you're depressed, maybe you've been through a bad experience and your boss has shouted to you and you want that mental high, that moment of exhilaration, the release of serotonin in the brain, and you get into a loop and then you go down and you go up again and various forms of pornography uh, addiction are very similar and they can result in in permanent rewiring of the human brain, and this has been proved scientifically. And this is another of the horrible, ugly fitness of the age, and alhamdulillah, in our religion, we know halal from haram, and what to look at and what not to look at. So many protections from these cycles of sin. But still we're weak, and we make our tawbah, and then we go back to that thing. What can we do? And so many people go to the imam of the masjid or to the Muslim chaplain or to the psychologist or to the counselor and say, I can't stop doing this. I know it's haram, but I can't stop doing this. How do we help that person back to the path of istiqamah? Well, again, what we've said is that tawbah, which is the language we would use for this, is a divine gift. So the first thing we do for those people as believers, is to make a du'a for them. To ask that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, tawab al-Rahim, should relent towards this poor person and grant him enough willpower to say no. But it's also the case that those who need inward discipline, impulse control, and the modern world has figured out that the less impulse control people have, the more money you can make out of them. You go through the shopping center and your credit card is maxed out because you can't control yourself with all of the stuff that's on its knees begging for you to, to buy it and have this pleasure and do this and by the end of the day you're skint and you have to work even harder and you have less time for family and they're making money out of you, milking you because you can't control your impulses. But the basic forms of our religion, because they impose a discipline upon us, give us this basic inner capacity to say no to certain impulses. When we think, well, it's getting near the time for prayer, and I know that my Lord has said I must pray. Or you think, oh, there are all of these pleasures and nice restaurants around and cool drinks, but it's Ramadan, I can't touch those things. The taqwa and the self-restraint in what's called al-wazir, wazir or sharq, the, the legally inspired, revealed restraint that is established by revelation is helping us. Ramadan teaches us lessons. And actually, it teaches us a very reassuring lesson that we are capable of abstaining from things, even from basic bodily urges, which are the strongest instinct. We can say, no, oh, I feel hungry, and we need a cigarette, and we need a cool drink, and the sun is hot. We say, no, 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 until the adhan comes, uh, and we are able, inshallah, to do this, and that should show us for the rest of the year and in other times that we are capable of saying no. Never tell yourself, I'm too weak, I'll never overcome this sin. I'll make this tolva, but I think probably I'll go back to it. Don't say that because you have shown through your prayers, through your Ramadan, through the other obligations that you discharged. Allah has proved to you that you are capable of saying no. 
You have been half dead with thirst, but you have walked past the ice cream shop. You can do that. Then you can say no to a whole bunch of other sins. So be reassured. Never say you're too weak. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can strengthen you. And he has shown you through these blessed rituals that you are capable of being a self-possessed, dignified, honorable human being who passes by. And in Ramadan, towards the end of the month, this wonderful tajreed that we experience, <coughs> stripping away this detachment, we hardly notice it because it's become second nature. Cravings, shahawat, from the devil's whispering within ourselves are from his weak whisperings. In the Kedah Shaytani Kanadanta, the devil's plots are actually weak. And we might think, this is a mighty temptation. And I've fallen into it a hundred times. And I've made Tawbah 99 times. And I'm going to fall into it again because I'm so weak. But Shaytan is telling you that as well. But you should know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given every member of Bani Adam the capacity to say no. And he has shown you this in your religious activities. And remember the times in the past when you said no. Another aspect of this, which is part of muhasaba, is to, get, is to gain in what you might call mindfulness, self-awareness. The sinner, ourselves, when we think about doing something wrong, when there's the crossroads and we could do the right thing, that might cause us some personal embarrassment or financial loss, and there's the wrong thing, which might be kind of sweet and advantageous at the split-second moment where we say yes or no to those things, we have to be self-aware. And the ego, the nafs, the hawa, the shaitan, at that moment throws upon our consciousness a kind of cloud. Usually when we choose the path of sin, we're not fully present. And there may even be a part of our consciousness that stops thinking carefully because it knows that if we were thinking and saying, hold on, last time I did this, I had such a terrible hangover, or I lost all of my money, that is not sensible. This is supposed to be the path of pleasure, but in fact, the pain is a hundred times greater than the pleasure, so, oh, stop, don't go that way. If we take a moment to think and to remember that this path of pleasure is like something that is superficially sweet but actually bitter, then we will be strengthened, inshallah, not to go down that path. And this is the mental exercise that we should acquire. Whenever we're thinking of doing something wrong, unless we're really vague, stream of consciousness people that go through life without really making a near just from pleasure to pleasure and egotistic state to egotistic state. But if we're people who are awake and alert and have real intentions, at those critical moments when you think you stop by the bar or you think maybe I won't do this good thing or maybe my zakat won't come out this year, at that moment be fully alert and remember the pain of regret and of guilt and the consequences, the ugliness of sin and the sense of impurity in your heart caused by that thing will outweigh all of the pleasure that you're gaining and you're supposed to be an intelligent person. Choose the path of the Ashab and Yameen, the right hand, because that is the way that will lead you to Fakta Istiqamah. Shaitan promises nothing but Gurur, the kind of deceit, misleading, 
takes it astray. It's just a trick. It's a cage. It's a deceit. Don't be dumb. Don't fall into the deceit. Go to that in which is actually your happiness and your pleasure, which is what the Lord wants for you, and avoid that uh, misfortune. So these are some of the ways that the Olama have indicated that our blessed revelation has given us to keep us out of trouble, to keep us on this path, to keep our footsteps safe. And it's the path of the Messenger, Allah does not wish us to fall into the holes and to be bitten by the scorpions of our desires and the rubbish that's out there. He calls us to the abode of peace. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to keep us on his straight path and to help us to see this path as the path of sweetness and delight and to grant us the delight of the, the, the beauty of ta'a and to help us to see the ugliness of sin. رَبَّنَا أَرِنَا الْحَقَّ حَقًّا وَرْزُقْنَا اتِّبَاعًا وَأَرِنَا الْبَاطِلَ بَاطِلًا وَرْزُقْنَا اجْتِنَابًا رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنًا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسَنًا وَقِنَا عَذَابَ النَّارِ وَأَدْخِلْنَا الْجَنَّةَ مَعَ الْأَبْرَارِ يَا عَزِيزُ يَا غَفَّارِ رَبَّنَا لَا تُزِغْ قُلُوبَنَا بَعْدَ إِذْ هَدَيْتَنَا وَهَبْ لَنَا مِنْ لَدُنْكَ رَحْمَةً إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْوَهَابُ اللَّهُمَّ إِنَّا عِبَادُكَ وَبَنُو عِبَادِكَ وَبَنُو إِمَائِكَ مَاضٍ فِينَا حُكْمُكَ عَدْلٌ فِينَا قَضَاءُكَ نَسْأَلُكَ بِكُلِّ اسْمٍ هُوَ لَكَ سَمَّيْتَ بِهِ نَفْسَكَ أَوْ أَنْزَلْتَهُ فِي كِتَابِكَ أَوْ عَلَّمْتَهُ أَحَدًا مِنْ خَلْقِكَ أَوْ اسْتَأْثَرْتَ بِهِ فِي عِلْمٍ غَيْبِكَ فِي عِلْمٍ غَيْبِ عِنْدِكَ أَنْ تَجْعَلَ الْقُرْآنَ الْعَظِيمَ رَبِيعَ قُلُوبِنَا وَجَلَاءَ أَحْزَانِنَا وَذَهَابَ هَمِّنَا وَغَمِّنَا وَأَنْ تَجْعَلَ الْحَيَاةَ زِيَادَةً لَنَا مِنْ كُلِّ خَيْرٍ وَأَنْ تَجْعَلَ الْمَوْتَ رَاحَةً لَنَا مِنْ كُلِّ شَرٍّ بِرَحْمَتِكَ يَا أَرْحَمَ الرَّاحِمِينَ May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us in this moment to think about which is the greatest of our weaknesses and inshallah to begin the path of tawbah and the path of constructing a path back to as-sirat al-mustaqeem. Inshallah. Barakallahu feekum. Subhana rabbika rabbil aizhi amma yashifon. Wassalamu ala al-mursaleen. Walhamdulillah. Rabbil alameen. Cambridge Muslim College. Training the next generation of Muslim thinkers.